still come and do the drive-through parade and celebrate with us to kind of officially kick off, inaugurate, if you will, the new campus launch, and then we'll have a launch service that evening at 6 o'clock after that. So exciting things are going on, and uh, just ask you to kind of help us spread the word with people that you know that this is what's happening over the next number of weeks. So on that note, who's ready for the word tonight? One more time. Who's ready for the word tonight? You guys ought to be learning me by now, right? I love preaching the word. I just want to say, if you're watching us, our online audience right now, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us. We'd love to know where you're watching from. If you could just type in the comment section, city and state, wherever you're at. We just we want to be here to pray with you and to encourage you, and we want to thank you for being a part of our service here uh, at Life Church X. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter 3. And we're going to read some verses uh, 8 through probably 19 to open up. But before we do that, I just want to set a little bit of the rudder with the first seven verses here. The, the situation is there is a king, and his name is Nebuchadnezzar. The story is taking place in an area called Babylon. God's people, the Jewish people, are in a time of captivity, and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has decided, because he's really full of pride, he's full of himself, he's decided to make a huge statue that is a golden image of himself that everyone can come and worship, and he wants people, when they see this statue, and there's music that begins to play at certain times of the day, that people would immediately turn and fall to their face and bow and worship this statue that is this image of the king. I'm sure I don't have to explain to you or unpack the fact that this is a perfect example of what would be called idolatry, right? And, uh, and so the king, he's He's all excited and he throws this huge conference. Now, this is like the conference of conferences, okay? Uh, you have governors, you have counselors, you have magistrates, you have the wise people, all these different people from all the stratas of society that come for this uh, kind of kickoff celebration. The statue is finally done. So that sets the story up a little bit for you, those first seven verses. Now let's read, starting in verse 8. Therefore, at that time, there were certain Chaldeans who came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. Hey, just as a side note, we're looking for psaltery players on the worship team. So if you know how to play the psaltery, I think it's like a triangular shaped string instrument that's similar to a harp, I believe. Um, and whoever does not fall down shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now listen, there are certain Jews 
whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up. Now, if you are ready at that time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Basically, we don't need to think about it. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. That's some moxie right there, isn't it? But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Last verse we'll read here, number 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression of his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Let's pray. Lord, We just come to you, God, and we ask you for fresh bread, fresh revelation tonight. Speak to us, enlighten us, challenge us, convict us. God, we just want to hear from you in a way that improves our lives and improves our relationship with you and helps us to go forth strengthened and encouraged this day. I ask you to just speak through me and use me, God, as your instrument. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... We obviously see the, the situation now that's going on. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were really good friends of Daniel. If you read the whole book, you see kind of different stories, and many of them they were together in. And these three men had actually already been promoted to a level or position of influence by King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel had been able to prophesy or interpret, I should say, a dream that the king had had already. There's another one that would come. And so the king was so impressed with Daniel and his friends that he promoted him, promoted them. Even though they were Jews, they had been captured out of their homeland and brought to Babylon in captivity. Nebuchadnezzar took some of the elite, some that they felt like were really wise and really uh, had gifts, and they promoted them to positions of influence. So that's where these men were already at. But this just goes to show you that pride is an evil beast because the king is so caught up in pride that as soon as these men challenge his authority over the golden image and worshiping according to their conviction, did you catch that? It says that the face of the king changed toward them. The face of the king actually changed in those moments. Pride will cause people to do some crazy things. Pride will cause people to turn on you in a moment who you thought were your friend. I just want to make you aware of that. It's something we need to be very discerning about 
be very aware of and how close company we keep with people who we recognize are caught up with a prideful spirit. And that was the case with King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, these men that were the Chaldeans, they had it out for Daniel and his buddies. They didn't like the Jewish people. They didn't, probably didn't like that they were promoted to a place of influence, probably pretty jealous towards them, whatever it was. And so they were conspiring treachery to try to come up with a plan to get them killed. And so, as we read, they go to the king and they bait him, knowing the prideful man that he is. King, oh glorious king who's worthy of worship. Did you know there are certain Jews who are refusing to worship you? And he's now caught up in this place where he has to do something about it. And he's infuriated over the fact that they're not obeying his commands. So they have this furnace that they said that anyone who does not obey this command is going to be tossed into the fiery furnace. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar was so mad, you heard what it said, right? He heated it up. How many times hotter? Seven times hotter than normal. And uh, likely, this furnace was a gold smelting furnace. First of all, we know that the image that was made was made of gold, and it was a gigantic image, so they had to have a furnace, a smelt for gold somewhere. But many architectural discoveries have found in the area that was Babylon that there were a lot of images discovered that were overlaid with gold, and history records that uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually made gold kind of the worldwide currency whenever they were the reigning empire over all of the region at that time. So I tell you that because a gold smelter that has to heat gold to the point of melting, has to be 1,948 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm sure you knew that, right? 1,948 degrees Fahrenheit is the normal temperature to melt gold. An average house fire is around 1,100 degrees. And just a little hotter than that, Whenever the firefighters go to try to fight it, they actually can't even fight it effectively because they can't get close enough to fight it properly because it's so hot, it'll just begin to melt, right? So it's, if you get close, it's like super, super hot. This is kind of how Katie feels when she gets around me. <laughs> she gets all flustery, you know. <laughs> but... I am intentionally trying to set this stage for you using factual evidence to support my points. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's a, there's this summit that's going on. And so here's basically what this scene looks like for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are on complete display. This trial, this testing of their faith let's call it, is actually now happening in front of all of the most influential people in the land. Here's what I want to say to you tonight. We may or may not be at a point. I have my opinion on it. Many people do. But it's for certain that it's coming at some point where every one of us who profess Christ as our Savior will come under persecution. There is a time 
where your faith will be tested, where you will be in a situation where you will have to decide, do I take a knee? Do I bow to the intimidating spirit of the world system that is threatening me today? Think about these guys. They are very far from home. They're not close to all their church friends who are in the circle around them. They've been kind of separated out. They're in front of all these people who are pretty much against them. I mean, this is the ultimate point of intimidation. Do you or do you not recognize that there are many events that are happening in our world today, in our nation today, that are putting people of the Christian faith in a position where they are literally having their faith tested? where we will have to make decisions. Am I going to stand up for my faith and suffer whatever consequences that there may be here in the world so that I may not bow the knee? Or will I take the convenient and easy way out and gain popularity, gain acceptance? Because if we don't take the knee, it's likely that in many cases, we will be thrown into a fire. Maybe it's not a physical fire, but your reputation, your image, your friendships, your uh, popularity, whatever you want to call it, may very well get burned and may get impacted here in the world's eyes. So I want to encourage you tonight because... This message here speaks about, to me, there's a a great biblical uh, pattern. There's some truths in here of what we can recognize God does for those who come under the fire. And we are all going to experience that at some point in some way, shape, or form. In fact, the title of the message, if you're taking notes, is Coming Through the Fire. We're going to examine some biblical principles, some biblical truths of what we can put our faith in that God says he will do during times of fire that we come under. Fire is, you know, the Bible's full of symbols, right? You know that there's so many things, especially in the Old Testament, but even in the New, that that are symbolic and they mean things. Fire is a symbol, okay? Fire can mean wrath or judgment of God. Right? It rained fire and brimstone over Sodom and Gomorrah. It can mean that. doesn't mean that in this case. Fire can mean the Holy Spirit. We know that John said that there's one coming, Jesus is who he referred to, who will baptize you in fire and in the Holy Ghost. can mean that. doesn't mean that in this case. It can also mean a trial, a trial or a great a time of pain and suffering that we might have to go through and endure. But praise God and, and let us have faith that even through the fire, we can actually come out stronger on the other side. That's what God promises he will do. And here's what's important, is that we have to hang and stand on these promises that we're going to talk about tonight while we're going through the fire. You see, this is not good enough if this is just a 
kind of you up message or this is sort of some, you know, theological point or, man, that's an, uh, that's an interesting principle. Like, this has to be in your spirit. <laughs> this has to be resonant in you as truth, solid rock that you're able to stand on in your time of need. Because if you don't stand on it, you can go through fire and really get burned. Really get burned. But you can also come through fire and get stronger on the other side. And I'm believing that there are many of us in the days ahead, with the remaining years we have on this earth, that we will come under times where we will experience fire, we experience trial. It could be said as a nation that we're really experiencing fire and trial right now, the people of God in America at this point. And I hope that it will be said that the church in this nation was full of people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who would not bow the knee, who would be able to say something like, even if he doesn't deliver us from the furnace, we're still not going to bow the knee to you. Isn't that powerful? I have a cousin who I'm really, really close with. He just lost his 21-year-old son last year. And uh, it was, did the funeral, very difficult, lost him to cancer, and um, a really struggling moment. And we prayed so many times for him to be healed. Prayed many, many times, you know. My cousin, he prayed so many times, probably every single day, for his son to be healed. This story was an incredible encouragement to him through that whole thing. Because by the end of that difficult journey, he was able to say, and I knew he wasn't just saying it like lip service. He was able to say, even if God doesn't, I still believe. I still believe that he's a good God and that he loves my son and that he loves me. And that produces a kind of strength in our faith that very few convenient experiences ever will. And so the first point that I want to make here about what we can learn, biblical truths of going through the fire, is that God protects. God protects now, when I say these are biblical truths, here's what I mean by that. We see those in this story, but these are not just points that we extract from a single story that, that sound good. They're points that hold up under all of Scripture. Does that make sense? Like, they're tested and proven under all evidence of Scripture from beginning to end. These are biblical truths that we can stand on. That God protects His children even when they are in the fire. Let's read in verses 20 through 25. It says that he commanded certain mighty men, this was Nebuchadnezzar, he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. So they went in. These men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember the temperature of the fire, right? They, they burned and killed the men who carried them up there to throw them in were burned and killed. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down 
into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. You could say they were bound up and they fell when they got in. And the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished as he rose in every say astonished. I tell you something, when God shows up to protect you, your enemies will be astonished too. And the king was astonished. Um, I lost my place. He was astonished, and he rose in haste, and thank you, spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Woo, man, that just gets me fired up right there. Don't you love the word? When you just speak and preach the word, you just, you release the word of life in the environment. And when you hook in with that, your faith grabs that. It just produces an environment of faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We create an environment of faith here tonight in our lives when we release the word. Amen? And so um, it says here that Nebuchadnezzar was astonished because the men get thrown in and they're not burned. They're not burned. Let's, let's talk about the fire for just a second. The trial, the fire, the attack, okay? Um, first of all, let's make a point to notice that God didn't start the fire. Can we notice that for a second? You guys remember Billy Joel? You like Billy? We didn't start the fire. Yeah. Okay. Katie's going to be like, you got to eliminate that from your repertoire completely. So God didn't start the fire. All right. <laughs> Got one fan. I planted her there on purpose. <laughs> Sucker for you on the way home. Um, so, so God did not start the fire. This is important because the kind of trials that I'm talking about that are fires, they can happen from a couple of reasons. One, they can happen from our own mistakes. We can be rebellious, disobedient, and, and err, and there are consequences that can come upon us that will be like a fire and a trial in our lives that we will have to endure as a result of decisions that we've made or things that we've done. It happens. But that wasn't the case for these guys. There are trials and fires that come because they are all out attacks from the enemy. Do you remember Ephesians, the armor of God? The shield of faith will do what? It will quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Fire, it, it can be an attack that the enemy is bringing against us. But God doesn't cause it. However, there are times where he will allow it, yet he will protect us under the shadow of his wings, the psalmist tells us. He'll insulate us in that fire. He'll cover us and protect us because something more profitable will actually happen if we're in the fire, however long it's determined, and then God brings us out stronger on the other side. The other thing that didn't happen in this fire is... God didn't put it out. He, he could have, right? Just breathed on the thing, just ended it right there. He could have kept trying to light that thing and it just never would come on. He could just end it. But he allowed the fire to burn as hot as it did 
Yet, remarkably, nothing was burned or harmed on these men. Actually, not a hair on their head was even singed. Isn't that amazing? They came out, and it says here that they didn't even smell like smoke. Wow. Let me, let me paint a picture for you on that because this is really, really powerful. We can go through fire sometimes and God can protect us because he's our father and we're his children, but we can come out and, and we can kind of still smell like smoke, defeated, discouraged. Oh, yeah, I've just really been beat down. I've just been, you know, the devil's been giving it to me, man. It's just been hit. And, you know, we're just broadcasting that to everybody with like a downtrodden, sullen spirit about us. We came through the fire, but we smell like smoke. It makes sense. These guys don't even smell like smoke. And the last thing is, is that while the fire was going on, God could have jerked them out of it. I mean, he could have just pulled them out, opened it up, gave them a way out, but he kept them in this thing. You remember what Job said? He went through fire, right? And we know that God didn't bring those attacks. It says that all of the things that happened to Job were in Satan's hands. God allowed that. But Job even said, I'm like gold that's come through the fire. He's been tested and he's been proven and he's been fortified as a result of the tempering process. You know, we like when God jerks us out of a place. We, we want God to just, get me out of this fire, God. Get me out of this place. I don't want to be here. Just remove me from this thing. In our mind, that is the most sensible way for God to help us is to get us out of this doggone place. But that's not often the way God does it. Have you noticed? I've noticed. <laughs> I mean, we like it if he jerk us out. One time whenever we were uh, with, with our kids, this is whenever they were a little bit younger, Evie, she was like one year old and she was in this raft. And is, you know those little baby rafts where the legs go down through them? You know what I'm talking about, Leah, where you're like sitting there. and So she's just kind of doing her thing. We're all swimming. And then all of a sudden we look over, and it's just like in a second, and she's, the thing's flipped over, and she's gone. And I look, and the pool water is pretty clear, and she's just sinking slowly to the bottom like this. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And Katie and I jump in and grab her and jerked her out. She was just as peaceful as could be, just like no big deal. That's amazing. So I just jerked her out of there. And sometimes that's what we want, is for God to just get us out of this thing, don't we? Well, God knows better than we do. So I'm saying these things tonight, that God protects us when we're in the fire, so that if we're staying there, if we're, if we're still there, we can step back and say, okay, but God is protecting me right now while I'm in this thing. And that will give us the strength, the endurance, and might I even add, even a level of joy that we can never experience without him while we're in the fire. I think that's one of the most impressive things about God is that we can be in a place of suffering yet still feel like no joy has really been robbed from our spirit because we know that he's there and he's protecting us. Some of the hottest fires of the earth could never penetrate uh, God's protection. You know the only thing that actually did get burned? Did you catch it? The ropes. What were the ropes doing? They were binding them. Wow, not a hair was singed. Not a piece of their clothing was even charred. 
Yet somehow the ropes that restrained them and bound them busted loose. Listen, what does the Bible say in the New Testament? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You see, God said, yeah, you're going to be in the fire for a little while. You're going to be in there, but we're not going to keep those restraints on you. You're not going to be bound. You're not going to be imprisoned. You're not going to be shackled because when I'm with you and I'm protecting you, you're going to be free to move and you are liberated from any bondage or oppression or restraints that your enemy can try to put against you. I may allow you to stay in the fire, but I will not allow you to stay bound. I will not allow you to stay chained or covered with ropes that restrain you from being able to walk around freely. I love that. That's better than your reaction, by the way, just saying. Okay. (laughs) Number two is God defends. God defends. So the first point, God protects, deals a lot with just our our state of protection and our well-being through the fire. But like we said many times, a fire is an attack from an enemy, and the enemy works through people that he uses against us too, right? And... In, in the time when God defends, he's actually dealing with our enemies for us. Wow, we, I got a powerful revelation on this back a few years into walking with Christ. And we came to this hard moment, Katie and I, in our lives where we realized that we had to separate from some friendships and some relationships that we'd had for a really long time. That it just, God began to, illuminate for us that they were incredibly unhealthy and we weren't going to go further in our walk with him on the level we wanted to if we stayed connected as closely as we were. And so there was some painful separation and as a result of that, there were some very unfair um, attacks that were malicious, you know, towards us, our reputation, our intentions. And I'll never forget, this went on for probably uh, not quite a year, but better than six months just seemed like there was always drama. And I just, I found myself, Beth, always trying to call somebody up and explain, you, you, you got it wrong. I didn't say this. I didn't do this. I didn't mean this. And then there was another person to call. Then there was another person to call. Then there was another thing. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, I know. And I finally, I was just, I don't, one day I was reading the word and I, it's not that I hadn't heard this or thought this before, but it just kind of became something different as by way of revelation on the inside of me, that God says, would you just let me deal with your enemies for you? Would you, would you let me deal with them? Because I, I, I say in my word that I will deal with them, right? And it just hit me like all of a sudden that I didn't have to fight all these battles that really had become like smoke screens in my life that just kept me constantly distracted from where I really needed to be headed. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna let these things lie. You know, I think it was Winston Churchill that said, if you stop along the way to throw stones at every dog that barks, you'll never get to your destination. That's pretty good, isn't it? And it just, that's kind of where I got. It's like, I'm going to let God deal with this stuff. What was amazing is that the less attention I gave it, the more things just seemed to kind of fall dead on the ground and never even actually have any impact like they were trying to do. But enemies can be very cunning, especially when they are intentionally out for our harm. 
Nebuchadnezzar and these Chaldeans were bent on the destruction of these three men. They wanted them dead and they wanted them harmed. Enemies can be very cunning and very manipulative and we must have the wisdom and guidance and defense of Almighty God because if we try to protect and defend ourselves, it will always backfire on us. Does that make sense? And so God says, I'll do that for you. But if you try to do it for yourself, then you're going you're gonna to have even more heartache. Because the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He says that. But he says to us, don't repay evil with evil. Repay evil with good. In fact, he says, here's how I want you to fight. Here's how I want you to battle. Okay, what do I got to do? He says, I want you to pray for your enemies. Whoa. Come on, Lord, really? Like, are you serious? Because I kind of want them to get hurt, you know? No. And I'm telling you, it's a heart thing, and God knows the heart. And if you just act like, yes, Lord, please bless them, you know, is you like, who are you kidding? Like, I, I see through the heart, remember? And it's another level to get to, by the way, to, to be able to let God defend you, and then a whole other level to let him, to, to pray for your enemies and really mean it. Wow. But here's the beautiful thing is because it even says when you pray for your enemies, guess what you do? You, you heap coals of fire on their head. But when you're praying for them, here's what I have found. It's so important that we do this. We actually create an environment that they may be completely desolate of if no one else prays for them to where the possibility for transformation and forgiveness can actually happen. If you don't pray those prayers and no one else does, then who's going to create an environment around them where the Spirit of God might be able to move and transformation and forgiveness might be able to occur? You're not going to transform them, but you can pray for them and create an environment where God can move in their lives. He did it for us. He did it for me. He did it for you. So we should look at the situation like other people deserve that opportunity too. I think that's why the God says you pray for your enemies because he just wants to keep our heart pure and keep our heart in the right place. And he says, I'll deal with them. And no matter how he does it, it may not be on your timeline. It may not be the way you want it to be. Can I tell you something? It doesn't really matter. As long as God says he'll defend you, protect you, and he will fight your enemies for you, then it doesn't really matter how or when it happens. And if you're hung up on it has to happen a certain way, there's a level of freedom that you'll be missing in this whole thing. Does that make sense? We need to be so free and unhindered. It's like, I'm praying for him. I hope God does something. You know, praise God. I hope it's today. I hope it's tomorrow. I hope it's soon. Praying for him. But I'm not caught up in that smoke screen anymore. Praise God. I'm at peace and joy, and I'm, I'm walking free. I got ropes been burned off me. I'm not chained. I'm not shackled. Like, I'm just, I'm moving forward with my life into the destiny and purpose God has for me. I'm not getting hung up and held back in some little thing back here that God says he's going to take care of for me. Amen? Listen to Psalms 55, uh, 21, speaking about enemies. It says, the words of their mouth, this is David, the psalmist says, the words of their mouth are smoother than butter, but war was in their heart. Their words could be softer than oil, yet they could be like drawn swords. And so, you know, enemies can be very deceptive and cunning. The best thing for us to do is to really just allow God to deal with them for us. 
Last point is, um, let me see this. Those enemies, by the way, did you see what happened to the guys that carried him up to try to throw him in the fire? They got burned by the exact fire that they tried to heat up for them. You know, this happens all through scripture. People slip in their own mess. You remember Haman in the book of Esther? He made gallows to hang Mordecai. Those very gallows became the gallows that Haman was hung and sentenced to his death on. You see, when people conspire maliciously, it's going to come back around. We just have to let the Lord be the one who decides when and how that stuff happens. The last point is going through fire, God is present. God is present. Again, this cannot just be some feel-good statement. It has the ability to be that. Because we hear it a lot, it sounds good, it's encouraging. But it's got to be way deeper than surface. It's got to be down in your heart and to be a place of faith. Where you're like, God is with me. He is present. Remember what the king said, what happened? He was astonished. Why was he astonished? He was astonished, one, because they weren't burnt up, obviously. But there was another reason why he was astonished. It says that it was because he looked in there, and there weren't three. There were four. And the one that was the fourth looked like, did you catch this, the Son of God. Now, for those of you who wondered, like, well, Jesus hasn't been born yet. How's that happen? Let me just quickly explain This is what we would call the pre-incarnate Christ. It's a Christophany, theologians call that. It's Christ, because you know Christ always was, right? He was the word at the beginning, he always was. He's never created, so he always was. So there are times when Christ, the Son of God, appears probably in some sort of angelic or celestial type of form, looks like a man, angels look like men, stuff like that. But it's not the incarnation, the fleshly body that he would later be born into according to the virgin. So this was the pre-incarnate Christ. And so he says he looks like the son of God. Wow, God must have opened his eyes to something when he looked in there. But here's the point I want you to get. Is that God wasn't outside of the fire looking on what they were going through. He wasn't protecting them and defending them from outside of the fire. I am so thankful that in my hardest moments and my hardest seasons of my life, that when I look back and I see what God was doing or where he was, I can seriously tell you he was right up in the fire with me. He gets right in that stuff with us. He wasn't outside of it, looking from a distance. He was up there in the fire, going through the thing with them. Now, one thing that hit me just recently when I was reading this story that I had never seen before, or at least never at the level that I saw it recently, is it said that we know that there restraints were loosed and they were no longer bound, but it says that they were walking around with the fourth person. They were walking around in there. Now, I've read some scholars say like that they think they were dancing. Maybe they were. I don't know if that's, you know, 
undeniably true from Scripture, but maybe they were, whether they were walking, dancing, whatever. They were, they were walking around free together. Here's what hit me. In the middle of a fire, it's seven times hotter than a normal gold-smelting furnace, and the Son of God is up there in it with them. They're not trying to beat down the door to get out. You get that? They're, they're not screaming and yelling. They're just, they're walking around in the fire with the fourth person. I, I think it is remarkable that perhaps they were so enamored and awestruck where they forgot about the fire completely. And they were just so focused on this fourth person, God, who was in it with them, that they just could just be in this fire walking around and more just joy and excited about the, what's going on with this fourth person in here. Hallelujah. You could go through fire that is an attack or some kind of trial but because God is in it with you, I pray, I hope that you will step back and look and see he's right here and he loves you and he cares about you. And as long as we're going to be in here, let's just focus on him because he's the center of our attention and the center of our affection. And he's the savior of our heart. He's always been and he always will be. I don't want to get too distracted by the fire. I don't want to try to bang the door down to get out or scream and yell. I know I'm not getting burned, but I don't know why I might get burned if I don't get out soon. No, it's not even a thought. They were looking at Jesus who's there with them. And that's all that matters. You want to keep it on for a couple days, whatever. We're good. I'm exaggerating, but I, I'm doing it intentionally to make a point like, if we're going to be in the fire, let's recognize that Jesus is there with us and let's just enjoy every moment we have with him. Even in the fire, God's got something special that's there for you. I hope you don't take your eyes off of that and get too caught up on wanting to get out of this thing. These men were able to come out of this thing protected their enemies were dealt with god was present with them but all this happened because they took a stand i hope you see that like if if they would have tried to eh, let's compromise a little bit here um you know maybe we'll kind of like nudge when the songs play we won't all go all the way down but we'll kind of give like a little salute or something you know, if they tried to compromise in any way, shape, or form, I think that it would just change the whole picture here. It was this hard decision that's like, no, I don't really care what happens to me. I don't really care what the consequences are. God's able to deliver me. If he doesn't, it doesn't really matter because I'm not bowing to you. I'm not bowing to an intimidating spirit of this world that is very, very active in our society right now, trying to pressure people especially faith and of faith and i think it's just going to intensify to take a knee to not even look like a christian in the midst of the culture sway that's happening did you also catch the point where it said the chaldeans when they came to nebuchadnezzar did you catch the point where it said that they told him only certain jews wouldn't bow the knee 
wow, that kind of hit me. That means a lot of them were. That means a lot of them actually were taking the knee when the psalteries would play. There they go. Can't tell the Chaldeans from the Jews. Can't tell the people of faith from the people of idolatry. There's a whole bunch of them out there taking a knee, succumbing to the pressure of the intimidating spirit of the world. Huh. Our faith has to be able to pass this test. I'm hopeful and pray we never actually are in a place where it's life or death, where we have to make that call. But all I'm saying is, from reading scripture, to me, it's unequivocally clear that your faith better be prepared for it if it happens. These are questions that we ought to be asking ourselves. These are prayers that we ought to be having. Whether that day ever comes or not, we don't know. There's a day where many will experience that during tribulation. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but this story has a lot of parallel to the end times and the Antichrist. For example, the statue was 60 cubits by six. The mark of the beast is 666. The furnace was seven times hotter. The tribulation is seven years. The enemies were burned in the furnace. The false prophet and the Antichrist are thrown into the lake of fire. There's more. But there's a parallel there. And the reason I tell you that is because there are times coming for those who will call Christ their Lord where they will fall under persecution. What it looks like in our day and age, we, we don't know. But our faith needs to be challenged and strengthened to a level and to a place where we could say, and we know we're there, where we could say, I don't care what you do to me. I'm not renouncing Christ. I'm, and I'm not going to back up and blend in the crowd so that you would never even know that I serve him. There were only certain Jews who wouldn't bow the knee. If we want to see a sweeping move of God in our nation, we must have people of real faith in the church. Amen. Rising up, getting strong, and being able to say, God protects, God defends, and God is ever present. <laughs> and I will not bow the knee to you, Satan, or this intimidating spirit of the world that you're trying to bring against me. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me tonight? I'm invite the team to come back up here as we begin to close. And really, I I feel like these this kind of message is a preparation message, maybe, you know, for building up the faith of God's people in a time where really corporately it looks like a fire. It looks like a corporate trial. It's, it's not just sparse little groups of Christians here and there individually. It's kind of becoming this almost widespread. Or if you stand up for Jesus, man, if you take a stand, if you let people know, I love Jesus. I love the Bible. I believe it's truth. 
I don't think these are just stories. I think this is the only way. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be like a bigot or anything else, but I'm just telling you, I, I, I don't think there's another way. He's the only way. I, I just, I've read it. I, I've walked with him, and I just, there's just no way around it. He's the only way. You, we can't compromise on these things. But we may go through fire as a result of it. But he'll protect you, and he'll defend you, and he'll always be with you. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you tonight. Oh, and we are so thankful for the loving God that you are. We are so thankful for the 